invite you to open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 14, as we are uh, looking at the life of Samson. Judges chapter 14. Just want to remind you again, as we noted last time, that when we're studying the book of Judges, we're not just, uh, this isn't just historical narrative, this is a prophecy. Uh, that's how it's um, understood in, in Scripture. And, and in other words, that God is telling a story here, not just the, uh, the story of, uh, that we see on the surface, but God is telling a story of His saving purposes, um, His saving ways, and what He's like. And so we'll be looking at that tonight as we uh, study together. Judges chapter 14. This is the beginning of Samson's judgeship in a sense. Uh, the, the beginning of his ministry. Last time we saw uh, Samson being uh, foretold by an angel. And, um, and now Samson begins. And um, well, let's see what happens. Judges chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there is a swarm of, of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it uh, into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for, the, uh, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is, within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes." And they said to him, Put your riddle, that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband and tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father and my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city came to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. 
And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for what it tells us about you. And we ask, Lord, that now your Holy Spirit would just give us ears to hear it and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, I was down in Texas this past week. I flew out early Tuesday morning and uh, was uh, probably with you uh, sort of eagerly awaiting the results of uh, the election. And uh, I have to say that I was quite disappointed, uh, particularly regarding Proposition 3, it uh, sounds like abortion was a major influencer in this year's election, not only in Michigan, but all over the country. Uh, the citizens of our state have clearly demonstrated uh, their commitment to taking the life of the unborn. One of the things that struck me is that we can no longer say that uh, abortion is here because a decision made by some Supreme Court justices 50 years ago. Um, now it's here by our choice, by our decision. Uh, the darkness seems to be descending uh, upon our country. But as I was thinking of that, I also just reflected on the, the fact that in my own life, and I'm sure yours as well, aren't there, um, aren't there disappointments when we think about the things that we choose, uh, the things we choose to say, the things that we choose to give our time to and our ears and eyes to, the thing that we allow ourselves to think Uh, we make many uh, disappointing and discouraging and sinful decisions. And where is God in all of it? Uh, What is God doing in all the disappointment of the sin, the darkness we see around us, and the sin that we see within us? uh, Well, it's it's a good time to remember the wonderful truth that we have in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, where God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Uh, God is not like us, and He does not act like we would expect. And God goes on to say in verse 9 that my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That um, The truth, you see, is that God is up to something. He's, he's always at work with infinite wisdom and omnipotent power, even in the context of sin and failure, that the story of this world is not primarily simply a story about the human actors. It is primarily a story about the divine agent who has purposed and planned and accomplishes those purposes. We have a wonderful example of that tonight in this story about Samson. Uh, The desires and motives that drive Samson through this chapter, and in fact, frankly, through uh, his life, are, are nearly all wrong. Uh, you, you won't find a single, single Godward thought anywhere in the chapter when it comes to Samson. He never asked, what would God have me do? There's no, there's no uh, inkling that, uh, that, that Samson is concerned with what God thinks or, 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 or what he ought to do. He's not concerned about what his parents think. The only person Samson really seems to be concerned with is himself. And anyone then looking out from the outside on uh, Samson's life uh, at this juncture would just say, this young man's a, an, an utter failure. He is he's the anti-judge. He, he's not doing what he ought to be doing. And, and of course, you're correct. But the beauty of, of this story is that it's, it's not just a story about Samson and his failure. It's a story about the power of God and the purposes of God. 
power uh, that will make the, the purposes of God prevail even in spite of and even through the failures and sins of men. God's ways really are higher than our ways. Well, let's go into the story. It's a wonderful story. It's a dramatic story, although a tragic story. As we look first at Samson's failure, uh, he, Samson goes down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Um, there should be immediately red flags going off in our, in our mind. This is not how the story is supposed to go. Uh, all the other stories that we have in the book of Judges about judges are stories about um, men and women of moral courage, um, men and women of moral clarity. Uh, they're, they're stories of people who, who take a stand for the Lord. Uh, even if they begin tentatively, right? like Gideon who, who asked for the fleece, remember, uh, twice over, uh, so that he's sure. So the story begins tentative, tentatively, and yet Gideon takes a stand for the Lord. Uh, even if the story ends tragically, like that, uh, the story of Jehoshaphat. Even there, uh, Jehoshaphat, in his judgeship, had moral clarity and courage and took a stand uh, for the Lord. And the, the judges of the past, you see, accomplished great things because of their commitment to obeying the Lord their God. Not Samson. Uh, Samson is committed to Samson, uh, to his desires. Um, he sees a woman, uh, a daughter of the Philistines, and he comes back and says, Mom and Dad, I found her. Get her for me as my wife. Of course, that's how it happened in those days. You didn't just go out and ask her for a date. You went to your parents, and they arranged the marriage. And so he asked his parent to do that. Uh, again, you don't need to be an expert in Old Testament law to know this is one of the fundamental prohibitions of the law. God um, told his people over and over again, don't marry the pagans. And the reason God uh, forbid them from intermarrying with the nations around them is that uh, if you marry their daughters and take their sons, you'll end up worshiping their gods. And of course, it happened over and over and over. So it's not... a uh, uh, Hard to understand why Samson's parents are distressed. And they say to him, is there not a woman among all the people of Israel? It's a whole nation of women that you could take to be your wife. Why, why do you have to go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They're trying to point out to Samson, she's verboten, right? Off limits. This is contrary to the law of God. But Samson said, get her for me, she's right in my eyes. Think about how disappointed they would have been. Here Samson's been called to be a Nazarite, a man who is particularly, specially holy and set apart to the Lord, a man who uh, the angel said to them, this one, this son that's going to be born to you, is going to begin to deliver Israel from her enemies, going to begin the process of salvation. That was his calling and identity, and Samson is just trotting all over it. He's betraying his identity, denying his calling. Uh, he starts out the gate with a colossal failure. The question we should ask is, why? why? Why is Samson doing this? And the text gives us two reasons. The first reason is uh, because Samson lives by what he sees. You notice there's an emphasis on seeing in the text. Twice we're told that he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. 
Uh, Samson's not living according to his calling. He's living according to what he sees with his eyes. Why does he want this Philistine woman as his wife? Well, because she looks good. She looks really good. That's why. And that's, and that's all the reason why, in Samson's mind, she's right in my eyes. Right? No, there's no reason to, uh, to doubt or question what, what is motivating him. We know exactly what's motivating him. But of course, this isn't just a problem with Samson. This is a problem with Israel as a whole. Uh, the nation of Israel was prone to live not by faith, but by sight, uh, to do what was right in their own eyes. In fact, a recurring refrain in the book of Judges will be, now there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The whole nation is guilty. Samson, it looks just like them. Uh, why was Israel so prone to idolatry? Have you ever wondered about that? Why, why would they be tempted to set up these little gods and goddesses right in their, in their villages and in, in their homes, these things made of sticks and stone? I mean, we look at that and just shake our head. What is the appeal? Well, the appeal is it's a God you can see. It's a God you can touch. It's a God that just seems more present, more real, more intimate, more comforting, more helpful. Doesn't, um, it's not that they were just excessively wicked people. They were just normal people who, who live according to what their eyes can see, not according to what God has said to them. And of course, this problem is not just Israel's problem. It is endemic to humanity. It's our problem. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Think about the first sin that was committed. Why, why did Eve um, do what she did? Well, we're told in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, she took some. So she had a choice to make. Do I live by my own understanding? Do I live by what my eyes can see? Or do I live according to what God, my Creator, has told me? And Eve made the decision to live according to her eyes. It's a problem with humanity. The oldest trick in the devil's toolbox is to convince people that what is seen is more real than what is unseen. And we all have aspects of that sin in our life today. That's why we're tempted so often through our senses. Because what is seen seems to be more real than what is unseen. So why did Samson do this? Well, be because that's who he is. He's a, he's a sinful person. He's a son of Eve. He's a son of Israel who, who lives by doing what is right in their own eyes. He, he's just a selfish, sinful young man who lives not by faith, but by the desire of his eyes. That's the first reason. The second reason is, is much more surprising. We're told in verse 4 that um, God is at work here. In verse 4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. That is really a wonderful line. You see, we could look at Samson's story and just shake our heads and mutter, what a stupid young man. What, what, a, what a failure. Here he had all this opportunity, all these gifts, this incredible calling, just threw it away. But, but you'd miss the point of the story if all you saw was Samson and his failure. 
The point of the story is that there's a sovereign hand that's ordering the affairs of this world and, and, uh, and ordering the affairs of Samson's life, even in the context of his sin. Yes, Samson's failure is tragic and it's real, but it's, it's not the whole story. It's not even the most defining part of the story. God is at work. God is up to something. Well, what is God doing here? We're told God is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And the, and the, the author gives us a little a comment here. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel, right? And then we say, wait a minute. What, is, what, is Philist, what are the Philistines doing ruling over God's own people? Why are the Philistines ruling over God's chosen inheritance? The answer, of course, is because of Israel's sin. And we could say, well, that makes sense. And that could be the end of the story, but it's not, is it? God, uh, having disciplined Israel for her sin, you see, now uh, is going to remove her from that discipline. God is going to, in love and mercy, now reach out and take action. He's going he's to bring judgment on the Philistines in the person of Samson. And he's going to do this even though Israel itself seems unconcerned. Remember last week that they said, that we said that Israel was, they'd made peace with their bondage. Been this way for 40 years. There was no reason for them to expect God to do anything. They'd made peace with the enemy. But God in his grace does not leave his people to their, their destruction. God is going to work through Samson to bring enmity between Israel and Israel the Philistines. And so we just need to realize this is not a story primarily about Samson's foolishness. It's primarily a story about God's faithfulness. God hasn't abandoned his people. God is on the move. And then we see the Lord's great power. So Samson and his parents are on their way down to to meet and marry this young woman. And on the way, Samson, maybe he's trotting, he's ahead of the parents, but he meets a young lion uh, who comes roaring towards him. And, and the Hebrew here, when it tells us it's a young lion, clearly the author wants us to understand this is not an old, diseased, second-hand lion. This is the real deal. A lion in all of its strength, all of its vigor, all of its ferocity. In other words, uh, this should have been the end of Samson. But instead, it's the end of the lion. When the lion comes rushing towards him, the Spirit of God comes rushing upon him. And Samson suddenly discovers an ability he did not otherwise possess or know he had. There's no indication that, that of other acts of, uh, of, of, of great power in Samson's life. But when the lion jumps... Samson grabs and begins ripping apart. Notice uh, the text tells us, though he had nothing in his hand. That's a key note. In, in Samson's exploits throughout his life, he never uses a regular weapon. All the damage he does, he never uses a regular weapon. Um, he fights with his bare hands or with the jawbone of a donkey or pulls a building down, uh, but, but never uses a, a, a weapon. The, and the tendency, you see, is to, is to notice these, that and say, wow, Samson was so strong. And again, we would completely miss the point. The point is, the Spirit of the Lord is so mighty. 
The Spirit of God is so mighty. He's just the channel. Samson has no strength of his own. A a fact that he's going to discover tragically when his hair gets cut. He doesn't have any power. But God has great power. And when the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson, then um, great victory is accomplished with no weapon. No human weapon. And that's a lesson that Israel needs to hear. You see, one of the reasons they had made peace with their bondage is because they were powerless to resist it. They didn't have any weapons. The Philistines wouldn't even let them have uh, iron metal uh, farming instruments because they they figure, well, if they they have that, they'll melt them and, and make them into weapons. And so Israel has no weapons, completely helpless. But God has a message for His people. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Well, Samson, seemingly unfazed by this, uh, this incredible display of divine ability, continues to pursue his passion. He went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. But God is on the move. As we saw in verse 4, God is intent on bringing trouble to the Philistines, and it begins at the wedding. I'm just, we'll just quickly go through the story here. Um, Samson, on the way back to the wedding, um, sees the carcass of the lion, and there's honey there, and, and on his way, he has time to think of a riddle. And um, riddles are probably a way of entertaining in that day. You've got seven days for the feast. Um, you, you can't be, like, you know, binging on Downton Abbey. So the, what are you going to do for seven days? Well, they would tell stories and they would tell riddles. Um, that was one of the ways they entertained themselves. And so uh, Samson gives this riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. It's a very good riddle. And then he makes a wager. Tell you what, if you can solve my riddle, um, I will give you 30 sets of linen garments and 30 sets of clothing, one for each of you. There's 30 guys there. And, and if you don't get it, then you have to give me the same. Well, then the trouble starts. In verse 15, um, these men are not able to figure it out, and so they come to Samson's new wife and threaten to burn her and her father's house. They mean business. These are not nice guys. And so she weeps for the entire seven days of the feast. Not, uh, not the honeymoon Samson had in mind. He finally um, explains, uh, gives in, explains the riddle to her. She immediately turns around and tells Her people, notice she says in verse 17, her people. She's married to Samson, but she is still a Philistine. Well, the Philistine men come back, and they they give the answer to the riddle as though it were the easiest thing in the world. Uh, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? You can can hear the sneer in their voice. They they taunt Samson with their own uh, treachery. They're laughing in his face. But Samson knows exactly what has happened. Uh, you would not, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And then the action starts. Verse 19, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Exactly the same language we heard in regard to the lion. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town, took their spoil, gave the garments, probably with the blood still on it, to those who had told the riddle and in hot anger went back to his father's house. What's happening? Well, Once again, the the power of the sovereign Lord is on display, and and God is now, through Samson, uh, causing trouble. God is is 
bringing enmity between his people and between Israel. In Samson, you see, God is serving notice to the Philistines that a new day has dawned. For 40 years, they've been ruling over the Philistines, but now there is something new. There is a man filled with the Spirit of God, a man who has um, unimaginable power and, and who, with no weapons, does amazing things. Uh, a new day is dawning in the land. No longer is Israel uh, is, uh, going to remain under the, the wicked oppression of the Philistines. And, um, uh, and it's, a, it's a wonderful story about God's grace and God's deliverance. Well, what's, what's the application here? What's the lesson in this sad, tragic story of Samson? Well, there's several lessons for Israel. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lesson about the grace of God. Forty years they've been in bondage, and rightfully so because of their sin, but God didn't leave them there. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. They did not deserve God's grace, God's help. They weren't even looking for it. They were just living like Samson, doing what was right in their own eyes. And yet here it is, God shows up, revealing His glory as a forgiving and gracious God. He's going to engage the enemy on behalf of his people. It's a wonderful reminder of the grace of God. It's also a wonderful reminder of God's immutable saving purposes. Uh, why is God raising up Samson? Well, you see, God had made promises. Promises to uh, Adam and Eve that he was going to raise up a, a Messiah, a Savior, who would, who would deal with the devil. He, he'd made promises to Abraham that he was going to give his descendants a land. He'd made a, a promises that, uh, to his people that he would rescue them and deliver them. And God is faithful to his promises. You see, the only thing that makes sense of, of Samson's story, and Israel's story, in fact, is, are the higher ways of God. That underneath all their failure, all their sin, is the steady, immutable, saving plan and purpose of God. His, his calling and election are unchanged. And it's a story and a reminder to them of God's great power. The central theme of Samson's life is the power of God. Not, not the power of Samson. The power of God. When, when the Spirit of the Lord was upon Samson, he was invincible. What a great encouragement for Israel. Samson didn't need any weapons, and they didn't have any weapons, but they don't need any weapons. If God before us, who can be against us? And through this one spirit-filled man, God will bring deliverance for Israel. It's a wonderful reminder for the people of that day. Well, what's, what's the lesson for us as New Testament Christians? And, and of course, the answer is the very same truths, but now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the amazing thing about being a Christian is that the story of your life is not a story of your failure, your sin, and all the foolishness that is, that's been part of your life. That's, that's, not the, that's not the ultimate and truest story of your life. The truest story, the deepest story, is a story of the grace of God, the sovereign purposes of God, a God who promised you know, before the world began to rescue you to bring you out of the oppression of the devil and death and to give you to Jesus Christ. And, and God's purposes don't change. And the saving power of God, how is it that you are a Christian and, and, and have remained a Christian? Well, it's because of the power of God. You see, the, the beautiful thing 
about the scriptures that we find the story beneath our story, the story that makes sense of ours, and the story that, that points us constantly to the grace of God and the saving purposes of God and the, and the, the great power of God in Jesus Christ. There's so much, we're no different than Israel, right? There's so much sin and failure in our lives. But Christ has come to set us free and has set us free from the oppression of the lion. And see, the the devil is compared in Scripture, isn't Isn't he, to a a great roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when when Jesus, uh, when, when the devil pounced on Jesus to destroy him, what happened? The devil was destroyed, wasn't he? And that's not just a mythical story, friends, that that is in truth. Jesus came to make war with the devil and his host, filled with the Spirit of God. You see it in the gospel story, right? Jesus is baptized, he's filled with with the, the Spirit, and immediately he goes out in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan to do spiritual warfare with the devil. And as he rejected Satan's temptations, he's serving notice on the prince of darkness that there's an a new age that's dawning. There's a new spirit-filled man through whom God is going to accomplish his saving purposes. And Jesus proved that by immediately after uh, his engagement with Satan, beginning a ministry of healing the sick and uh, giving sight to the blind and casting out demons. When John is in prison and asks, uh, have the disciples asked Jesus, is he the one or should we wait for another? Jesus says, go and tell John what you've seen. That the blind are receiving their sight and the, the dead are being raised. Lepers are being cleansed. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, said to his disciples as he sent them out, he says, as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And when he died on the cross, friends, he accomplished exactly that. He destroyed death. He triumphed over the hosts of hell. When he cried out, it is finished. The work of redemption was finished. Our deliverance was accomplished. Did you know that ancient churches used to put the on their doors, a picture of Samson slaying the lion. Why would they do that? Well, it was, a re- it was a reminder to them that no matter how great the evil of the day, Christ had defeated the lion. Christ had crushed the serpent's head. The devil no longer has free reign. King Jesus reigns on the throne. And the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church for the fulfilling of Christ's gospel mission until Jesus Christ comes again. And friends, that's the ultimate story of our life. And no matter what we face, that's the story we need to lean on. I, was, um, I read a novel, oh, I don't know, a year or two ago, um, West with the Giraffes, and, and, and I, I hope I get the quote right. But the, 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 it was not a Christian book, but the author just made this comment, uh, I am continually amazed at the power of the, tr- of the soul's truest story to staunch life's most difficult ones. The power of the, store of the soul's truest story to staunch life's most difficult stories, the most tragic things that happen. This is our story. We belong to Jesus Christ the King. 
the one who has conquered sin and death and hell. And that's not just an idea. It's not just a thought, friends. That's what we take with us as we go into this very real week that God has called us to, as we engage in the very real mission he's given to us to love each other, to speak gospel truth to, our, to one another, to our children, to our, to our friends, to our neighbors, to worship together, to walk together until we see our Lord Jesus again face to face. Jesus reigns. Let's act like it. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that in spite of all of the sin and failure we see in Samson's life and Israel's life and our life, you have given us a conqueror. You've given us a mighty warrior who has freed us from the oppression of sin and death, has rescued us from our own guilt and shame. And Father, I pray that we would live this week in the truth of the story of your redemption, that we would live this week with joy, we'd live this week in peace, we would confess our sin and trust your forgiveness, we'd acknowledge our failures and and receive your grace, we would be set free from shame and fear as we trust, Lord, in Jesus, all the glory of your strength and your power, your kindness and compassion. I pray, O oh God, that the, the things that we believe to be true about our Savior and about our salvation would increasingly, Lord, mold the way we think and the way that we live and how we feel. That we are people, Lord, who bear the marks of gospel truth, the mark of joy and peace and patience. That we bear the marks of of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Lord, I thank you so much for this this story tonight that reminds us of what you're like, who you are, and what you've accomplished for us in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's respond singing uh, together from the hymnal 271. Sing, choirs of New Jerusalem, Jesus Christ has crushed the serpent's head.
glory be to him. Now as you go your way, go with his blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you till Christ come again. Amen.